трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут, На зеленом ковре стадиона Hello and welcome to the Russian Football News Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Thomas Giles, as per usual. And of course, as per usual, joining me are two guests, my regular guests, of course. First, we have uh, Andrew Flint here, writer on Russian Football News website. Hey, Thomas. Good uh, good to be back again. Good stuff. And of course, we have the website editor, the great Dane Tokathile. Hey, Thomas. Nice to be back. Good stuff. Um, so we may as well kick straight off with it, unless anyone's got any particular interesting stories they want to come out with. Well, I mean, there's loads of speculation flying around, isn't there? I mean, this this stage of the season, I, I love seeing the stories that come out, but um, we were speaking just off air, weren't we, about um, Leonid Slutsky being linked with a move to Hull City, um, which will be interesting. But, yeah, I'm sure we'll cover most of the transfer news um, at some stage over the summer. But having Slutsky to Hull is an interesting idea, at least. Yeah, Slutsky to everywhere seems to be the speculation at the moment. Um, but first of all, we're going to divert off the field to go to Rubin and Kazan in Tatarstan because Rubin have got new owners. So essentially what's happened here, Toka, is the main sponsor from the last few years have now become the owners for various reasons. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's a Kazan-based holding company. They've been the main sponsor of Rubin since, since 2006 and... And they have now taken over the club from the from the Republic of Tatarstan. Um, so it's interesting. It's a new it's a new direction from the club. Reportedly, they were quite unhappy with the performances and how the club was being run. So, yeah, we'll see. They they want to take the club in a new direction, and that should be interesting to follow. I mean, again, again, it's more we we've got the piece on the website at the moment. If the uh, the listeners uh, want to go and read it, it's um, by Andrei Martinov. I think it's his first piece for us. Is that right, Toka? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it's called Revolution in Kazan, A New Direction for Rubin. It's got a lot of information there, but we'll try and digest it into audio form, if you like. So, I mean, Andrew, the big piece that interested me in the article was the fact that before, because obviously the owners previously were the essentially the government, the local government of Tatarstan, so they've now moved to a private uh, company, as Toka says. So that means they're now sort of playing into the hands of UEFA in the sense that politics and football, although we'll probably get onto a bit more of that with this um, takeover, no longer really mixed. So it shows Rubin, perhaps after a disappointing season last year, which I'm sure we'll we'll cover as well, shows they're really looking to sort of push on here. Well, absolutely. I mean, last summer there was a lot of excitement, and I was excited as a neutral over the investment that was coming into the club. But it seems that I don't know. I now, with hindsight, it looks to me like. Um, uh, Gracia's appointment was almost a forced attempt to bring a westernised approach to the team um, and you, you can't deny that if you've got a single decision making uh, entity that also provides the financing for the club it's surely going to have a slightly more cohesive um, direction and I, I hope sincerely for the sake of Rubin because they're, they're a historic club, a very well supported club that the you know this winter uh, so this summer sorry transfer window is a productive one for them, and that's just on the pitch. So I think it's good that they are well, like you say, satisfying one of UEFA's um, general directives that um, you know politics and ownership should not be mixed. I think it's healthy. I think it's the right directive to have. But just the fact that they will have ambitions to get back into Europe, you'd imagine that this move will 
lay the groundwork for them so that they should be better prepared if and when they do make that step up. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. And I think surely this time it will be a better revolution than last summer's. I mean, Toko, I mentioned earlier about the, the politics and things, and Andrew's, of course, touched on it there. We're thinking here, I mean, Type have no official connections to the, the local government, but are we right in thinking that the, the president is the is a relation to the first president of the Republic of Tatarstan, something like that? Yeah, he's the father. He's the, the son of the uh, first president of Tatarstan. So, obviously, there are some connections there. Also, you can say that um, this company, Type, they they possess they possess most of the oil and gas resources in Tatarstan, and obviously you don't get a whole lot of, of such a, um, a resource of wealth without having. But it is it is a private company, but as we know in in Russia, uh, obviously there's always a bit of a, a gray zone in these um, in these areas. But as Andrew said, at least the um, the people controlling the club are no longer. Uh, in political political positions, for example, the previous president, the, the president who just left the club, he was also the mayor of Kazan, and and obviously Uefa doesn't like um, doesn't like that. So yeah, yeah, we touched on that a couple of weeks ago with our Chechnya special, of course, with Kadyrov, who's not allowed to be president of um, Terek Grozny because of his government position in Chechnya, of course. Yeah, exactly, and and that's that's the same situation here. UEFA and FIFA as well. I mean, all the governing uh, organizations in football, they don't want these, uh, they don't want politics and, and football to mix. At least they don't want it to make some paper. In reality, the, the situation is always always different. I mean, we, we all know that Kadyrov is practically running Terek, and so so it doesn't really matter if he's the president or not because in he is the factually the president. So at least this this should this should make UEFA happy and. And that's a complaint uh, Rubin Kazan can get off their back. Yeah, as long as UEFA gets some money, I'm sure they'll be happy with it. But um, going back to the on-pitch matters here, Andrew, I mean, you mentioned that they had a big spending last summer with Grassi, and then we saw Alex Song come in and people, you know, all these big names. And uh, Ruben Rochino, of course, formerly of Blackburn Rovers, uh, coming in from Spain. Do you think that, I mean, we're expecting a similar spending spree this summer? Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Actually, to be honest with you, I think more interesting will be to see how ruthless they are with getting rid of uh, the less effective members of the squad that arrived last summer. I would put Maxime Lestien in that bracket, which is a disappointment, really, given that he arrived as, obviously, I think he was their most expensive signing last summer for about 10 million euros. And, you know, former Belgian under-21 international came with a huge amount of promise, but he just for whatever reason, hasn't fit in. He hasn't knuckled down. And he was, of course, him and Alex Song were rumoured or strongly said to have caused disruption uh, on the training ground towards the end of the season. So I'd imagine Lestien is a prime candidate to leave. Um, uh, Samu Garcia, I think he's been fairly useless. I'm sure he will probably be looking for a way out himself, if not be pushed out. Um, So I can see those two certainly leaving. now, in terms of who they bring in, of course, they were linked very heavily with Alexei Medantrup, but he looks like he might be staying at Locomotive after all. Um, and I can see why, because they'll be in Europe. And if he has ambitions to possibly play in Europe, then, uh, you know, play for a, a different European uh, club in a different league, then being in Europe is obviously pretty good. And Locomotive being in the Europa League, that's going to help. 
matters from his perspective. So in terms of who they bring in, I'd be interested to see how many signings they make. I suspect it won't be so many, but you know, the few that they do bring in will be probably still big names, but I hope better planned ones. So anyway, it's, it's, it's exciting to see. Um, and of course, a lot depends on the manager situation, and um, which is certainly up in the air, to say the least, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to come to you in a second, Toker, and you can, of course, have an input on this. But, uh, Andrew, we were actually speaking on Twitter the other day, along with uh, David, of course, our sort of resident Rubin expert, if you like, about uh, the rumour of Solomon Rondon coming back from West Brom to Rubin. Mm, yeah, that's actually a very good point. And the obvious factor that would certainly help that would be if Kurban Badev does, in fact, come back to Rubin, as he's been strongly rumoured. Now, let's let's start with one hypothetical. If Berdeev does return to Rubin, then Rondon, of course, played so successfully under him. And, of course, he knows the Russian league. He's, he was very successful. He scored goals regularly throughout his whole time there, which he pointed out. And, I mean, I personally, following both the English and the Russian leagues, I'd be surprised if Rondon himself did go back because... He's, you know, he's not setting the Premier, English Premier League alight, but you know, he's got a regular spot in a solid mid-table, mid-table club. Um, he'd really have to be financially incentivized, I think, to go back to Kazan. Um, I'm not sure the emotional ties are quite strong enough for him to go just for that alone. But if Rondon did come back, it would be a massive sign of intent for Rubin. Um, I mean, Thomas, you were saying you thought perhaps he might be it might be a possible transfer. Do you, do you still think he might he might come if Berdeev, for example, does return to Rubin? Well, as you know, sort of based here in, in the West Midlands, West Brom quite nearby, as I understand it, I mean, I remember when Rondon came, I did a piece for the Birmingham Mail about it, plugging myself there, sorry, um, <laughs> that I said, give Rondon time to adapt. So, and, it, and my crystal ball came true. Anyway, I'm going to stop bragging now. So... <laughs> But this season, I think he went on a run of about one goal in 16. So Albion fans not too keen on him, to be honest. But I would say that the service hasn't been great. But from my point of view, Albion spent a lot of money on him. And, I mean, they have got new owners and everything. But they've always been very prudent with their spending. And it'd be very interesting because they want to make the money back on it, obviously. And like you said, Andrew, I think going back to Rubin, going back to Russia, I think it'd be quite an odd move. I mean, Toka, what, what's your take on this Rondon rumour? I haven't really followed him in England, to be honest, but I'd, I'd be surprised to see him move to, to Rubin Kassan because he's a big name, and private money, new money, and that Rubin Kassan is really not that interesting uh, at, at a destination right now. They're not playing in Europe. It's still a, a pretty new project. We don't really know what direction it's going to take, so moving there, is, it's risky. It, of course, it depends on, on his ambitions. But I think when when you play with Bramish, he could if he wants to play in Western Europe, he should have the suitors there. But I don't know. Maybe he wants to be reunited with Bediev, wants to 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 return to Turkestan. Obviously, he'll earn a lot of money, maybe even give a get a get a raise. But I don't know. I, I don't I don't think he'll 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 move back to Ruben Kassan. and and I don't hope Ruben will sign him. I, I think they can probably spend the money better. I mean, Toker, I'm going to stay with you because I went with that. I went to Andrew twice in the same sort of bracket, if you like. But I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the Ruben squad list here. I mean, what about somebody like Jan Envia? What what future do you see for him? I'm fairly certain that he'll he'll leave the club. I I think both him and and Alexander will leave the club leave the club this uh, this summer. I think they were brought 
Uh, actually, Embilla has been with, with with Rubian for a while, but I think both of them came and they and they wanted Rubian to be sort of a Western club. But if Bedir returns, I I think they they'll want to try something new. They want to play in, in maybe even European football. So especially Alex Sang, I I'm fairly certain will leave. Uh, he hasn't really been a success. Neither has Embilla. Uh, none of them have been regular starters this season. They've been thrown a bit in and out of the team and. By selling those two, Rubin can make a lot of money. They can really cut the wage budget, make room for new players. Uh, and the same goes for Lucien, Lucien, by the way. So I think those three are actually my favorites to leave because that would really that would really have an impact at the budget and have an impact at the squad. Also, if we, have, if we take regards to the, the rumors of them really ruining the atmosphere and causing problems at the training ground, that's that's not something you, you need at a club, especially not when you're trying to to rebuild and and get back into the top. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, the whole thing with... We've talked about how Ruben are going to spend the money. I'm just wondering what type of player you think they'd sign because we've got a real mixture here. So, I mean, Toka mentioned their song and Envia, who are sort of quite high profile, really. And then you mentioned, like, Les Yen and stuff. I'm thinking, are they going to go for that sort of... Um, lo- I don't want to say lower standard, but you know what I mean less famous, yeah, I would I say, mean, I think, and then look perhaps to sell them on at a profit? Well, yeah, that's it's, it's a very good point, Tom. It's a good question. I mean, they, for me, the profile of the players and the ability of the players are, are two slightly different things. And last summer, the mistake, in my view, was going for the high-profile players. Alex Song's had a, a, well, if you look at his career record, he has played for some very good teams. He's played for Barcelona, played for Arsenal. He's won trophies and he is a very good player but you've got to look at more than that you've got to look and especially when we're talking about like we are the russian league what's the character of the what's the personality what's the drive of the player um you know emmanuel fringpong for example was he, he came over to russia but he wasn't he wasn't really ever able to settle down because he, he's too much of a too much about his image and alex song seems to be something similar to that I mean, I don't know if you guys remember when he signed last summer, he posted a 10 second video on Twitter where he could not have looked more disinterested if he had tried, um, you know, standing in the new Kazan arena and everything was flashy and you know, big name signing and he just didn't look like he cared. So in terms of this summer, what sort of player do I think they're going to go for? I think you may have a point. They may have a slight change of direction in the in the profile of the players they go for. I don't know what the scouting... Uh, system is like how highly it is ranked within Russia, but um, they have they have pedigree they can point to, and I, I do think a lot of it comes down to, like I said earlier, who the manager is for the next season, and if they are thinking of removing Javi Gracia, then they should obviously do it sooner rather than later. Um, so I think. We may see a few more Russians sign. I mean, that's nothing new. A lot of clubs have gone down that route because of the foreigners' ruling. Um, so I guess Alexei Miranchuk, if he stays at Lokomotiv, that might be a blow for them. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure who who they will sign, but I think they will be slightly less dramatic than last summer, um, and that's that's that quite an important thing for them, especially financial fair play to think of too. Yeah, I mean, Toka, we've spoken a lot about uh, Berdiev, of course, and we're expecting Gracia to leave, although that is not officially confirmed at this time of recording, and we're expecting Berdiev to come in. So what what sort of 
players, oh, a couple of questions really, what sort of players do you think he would bring in? And also, we, of course, we saw Berdiev have a lot of success with um, Rubin a few years ago in his, in his first spell. Uh, will the expectations be too high now if he comes back? I think the, the question of what kind of players he'll bring in is very interesting because when when we have a when you have a guy like Petrov, it's it's not about of course it's about the quality of the players, but I think the most important thing would be how they react to his system. I, I expect him to bring in a lot of uh, former Rostov and Rubin Kazan players. We saw him do it at at Rostov when he went there. He brought with him Asmun, Cesanavas, all these guys he knew from his time in Oboa as well. All these guys he knew from his time in in Rubin Kazan and. I think he'll do the same. Do the same this time. We already know that uh, Sad Asmun, Asmun will probably return to the club this summer. He could bring with him Cesar Navas as well. Uh, maybe even I wouldn't be surprised to see him sign Kalachov if they maybe they can get Polos. I don't know, but I expect him to bring a lot of his former players, players he knows can play in his systems, players who know will adapt to his management style. Um, I don't think he'll go out and, and sign a lot of big European names, big stars, uh, exciting Brazilians and stuff like that. I think he'll he'll go with what is proven. Um, and if he does that, then I'm, I'm, I'm certain they'll be successful. I don't know if they'll go up and win the title. I don't, they could probably not accumulate Rastav success uh, straight away. But but under his control, I think uh, Ruben Kinsan will definitely move in the right direction. And if, if they have the funds and, and everything goes according to plan, they should, uh, should come up and fight for European football at least this season uh, probably this season but definitely in the next season as well so i think uh, signing bdf as as manager is uh, that would be a very sensible t- thing to do i mean andrew toker's mentioned this season of course i mean he's thinking pushing on for the european spots and i'd be inclined to agree with him if the, if the money's spent rightly so what are we expecting yeah. because of course with the tight takeover this isn't just a one season plan this is several years and of course mm-hmm. On, in the piece on the website, Revolution in Kazan, um, Artyom, Andrei, sorry, my bad, um, mentions the, the local hockey club, how they've built a lot of sort of um, hockey pitches around the local area in different cities of Tatarstan, which has boosted the grassroots game. So this is much, very much a long-term project. So where would you, uh, it's a bit of a crazy question, so I'm sorry about that, but where would you see this as a long-term project going? Well, I, I think that's a very, very important point to make, that it does appear that that is what they will do. They will look to make a, a long-term project. I would draw comparisons to a degree with um, Krasnodar, who had exactly the same approach when Sergei Galutsky um, built the club up. Um, and he that was the tactic he used. He spread, um, he spread academies or satellite centers all over the whole region. And they soon overtook um, Kuban Krasnodar in popularity and reach in appeal to young players. So... I think long-term, certainly, actually bare minimum, is European qualification, especially with the improvements in the coefficient points. So I think, is it from next season um, or after next it's season? It's after the World Cup. After think, the World Cup. Yeah, so, I think so. You know, you know, maybe building towards that season when there'll be an extra place to play for. Um, I think, I mean, that's an absolute bare minimum. And I'm sure in the... Uh, say, the five- to ten-year period, they would be hoping to challenge for the title at least. I think if their recruitment of of both of manager and of players goes successfully this summer, I would expect them to be right in the mix for um, European football. Because you've seen what's happened. Uh, You've seen what's happened 
with the end of this season, you know, Tarek fell away. Um, you know, Krasnodar was struggling with results. They weren't stringing a lot of wins together. Um, Rostov struggled to pick up points for they, that long run of nil-nil draws they had. All of those teams right on the edge of Europe. Nobody was stamped their authority on that that area of the league. So I'd say if they recruit well, it, it, the chance is right for them. Um, a lot, of course, we're speculating at this point, but um, if if recruitment goes well, I would expect them to be challenging for Europe at the very least this season. And Toka, it wouldn't be the Russian Football News podcast if we didn't have some pessimism. And I know you're a great provider of that, and, and I am as well, against Andrew's optimism. So <laughs> I have to put the question to you here, Toka. What if this goes wrong? That's a good question. I guess if, if this goes wrong and... because Sorry sorry to interrupt. Because last season was meant to be sort of the great revival, and that failed. So why wouldn't this one fail? What's so different? Yeah, you're right. And... and... We spoke about all these nice things with grassroots and long-term development, but as we know, very very few things are long-term in Russia. Uh, one bad season or one one lost game could mean that the, the owners lose interest or a bad financial year. Or whoever knows, man. It, we, we're only a few games away from a new Antia Dynamo Moscow, so let's not be too optimistic. It's 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 always dangerous. I think if the, this goes wrong, the control of Rubik Hassan will, can always go back to the Republic of Tatarstan. So they have that um they have that backup plan at least in hand. Um and I wouldn't be surprised to see if that happens <laughs> sooner or later. But but hope let let's hope that that uh, that these guys can, can keep it up and, and follow in the direction of, of Krasnodar because I definitely think that it's a it's a huge step forward with, with Rubin Kassan becoming a privately owned club. As you know, I'm very much against the uh the state owning the football club. So I, I'm very positive about this uh, right now. And, and they're yet to give me any reasons not to be, but obviously this is Russian football as we know. So let's, let's not get carried away. That's uh, that seems to be rule number one. I tried to get you to make a negative point and you turn it into optimism. I mean, this is going to go amazing because you've been optimistic. That's a, that's a good sign. Yeah. Or did I just jinx them? Who knows? <laughs> Probably either way. I mean, Andrew, you're usually the optimist, but you must see that sort of argument as well. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> as Toka says, um, as every Russian person says to me in every context, this is Russia. Um, there's no point trying to understand the logic of why a lot of things happen. And li literally anything could happen. That is truer of nowhere more than, than this place. So, yeah, I mean, you make, you do actually, semi-seriously, you do make the point that last summer, I don't. I think all of us were pretty positive about Rubin's chances of revival, and and like you say, it um, it really did not deliver what it promised. So, by that precedent, it's perfectly possible. But I think the you asked Toka what what's different about this time, and I'd say very simply what we've what we've already mentioned that there is a singular direction linking the uh, linking the financing and the ownership of the club. So I think that is what is different. Again, yes, I, I do admit there is every possibility it could go rather pear-shaped. Um, but I, I mean, I know I'm an optimist, but I actually genuinely do think that this has got a better chance. But um, I think for me, it does it hinges massively on um, how ruthless they are prepared to be with gutting the squad of the players that need to go, and also of, like I said uh, twice before already, uh, about the manager. Get Bedev, 
be brutal in refreshing the squad, and I'd say they would struggle to not make this work. But um, but then again, like you say, it is Russia, so who knows? Okay, so that's quite a nice place to move on to our, our next topic, which is Zenit St. Petersburg, who, of course, have appointed uh, Roberto Mancini as manager. And Toka, coming from my Zenit point of view, this seems like quite an exciting appointment after a couple of years of disappointment. But again, I have to put the pessimism size on it. Luchescu was meant to be that, and so was Vyash Boas. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm thinking. Um, and just like with Villa Bo- Villas Boas, I'm I'm a bit concerned that that um, Mancini is not really in for, into this for the long run. But but I'm I'm excited. I think this is a this is a real sign of intent from from Gazprom from Senate. It really shows that now this season it got it got to be Senate here. Um, I, I predict them to invest heavily in the squad this summer, also to get, as I wrote on a piece recently, to get rid of some of the, what I would call, mediocre players in the squad and, and really try to to re... re uh, yeah, to, to get uh, right back into the squad, to to reintroduce some real talent, as we as we used to know with Witzel and Hulk and Galai, these great players who left the club uh, in recent years. And um, I, think, I think it's going to be very exciting and and I can't wait to see what Mancini does at um, does at Zenit. Yeah, I was going to mention your piece, of course, on the website, which is uh, which players have a future at Mancini Zenit. I mean, Andrew, um, Toka mentions the long term thing there. I think he's got a three year contract with a possible two year extension. But my my I'm I am positive, but at the same time, I'm thinking Zenit now seems to be a bit of a go to club if your managerial career needs a bit of a lift, and that's not good for the club. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's um, yeah, there is a there is a pattern starting to emerge um, around that. I, I do take your point. Um, Mancini has been out of management for a few months at least now as well, which does it's, it's never something that sits well with me unless it is a pre-planned break, you know, career break like Guardiola had his year in New York, and that was that was planned, that was sensible, he refreshed, and he was ready to go again. Now. That okay, that makes sense, but this doesn't. Um, as far as I know, it wasn't Mancini's intention. Um, but anyhow, Mancini arriving. It's oh, how do we how do I assess this one without being negative? Um, Just be negative. It's it, fine. It's fine. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I didn't think you guys would complain, you two misers. So I'll I'll try and fit in with you a bit. But um, <laughs> no, but seriously, seriously though, with Mancini, I'd say the positives for me are firstly that well, he certainly is a a talented manager. He's a demanding manager, which, okay, you know, Luchescu was demanding too, and he he floundered, clearly, um, which was very odd. I didn't expect that to happen. Um, now, the fact that Mancini has agreed to come on a, on a reasonable contract, a well-paid contract as well, means that he, I don't think he would have come without allow, being allowed to have some significant degree of control over the team and transfer policy but my understanding is that the new sporting director will be in charge of all transfers coming in and out and I'm I think that's a that's a warning sign for me that rings a few bells because I think Mancini's not going to be overly happy if he isn't able to revamp the squad exactly how he wants however they may get on well they may agree on transfer targets so that may not be a problem but I think the major positive is the fact he's a big name um, usually, with most other clubs, I wouldn't say this, but I think it's a good thing because it's it, firstly a lot of money is going into his contract, but 
no no owners in their right mind, um, even if they are super wealthy like Gazprom, would plough huge amounts of money into the manager's contract without actually wanting to back him to some degree. Um, now, you know, I know Alexei Miller's, we commented on this in previous podcasts, um, uh, Gazprom's CEO has said he sees Zenit as being self-sufficient within a few years. So that possibly signals that he doesn't want to keep on ploughing too much of Gazprom's millions into the club. But Mancini arrived. They're not going to leave him with the same squad. They're going to give him something to back it up. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it really could go wildly either way, this one. It's not going to be quiet. That's all I'm going to say. Zanis are not just going to plod along in second or third and possibly have a shout at the title. They, they're either going to go, <laughs> either going to go flying to the top or crashing wildly down. Get relegated. Um, <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, even in, surely, even in Russian football, can produce that. Um, but <laughs> it is Russia. No, seriously, obviously, that's not going to, not going to happen. But there is a lot of dead wood that needs to be cleared out, and I think Mancini is headstrong enough to do that. So that's that's a positive start. Um, and it, it'd be interesting to see what the transfer budget is because Zanit didn't spend a great deal last summer. Um, a net spend anyway so I think this summer there'll be a bigger budget and with Mancini in charge it will be very interesting to see who he's able to attract to St. Petersburg um, who does a good job and he right back into the title challenge again yeah, I mean, Toko, just before I ask you about the players and things, I think it's worth mentioning that Zenit have a new chairman here with Sergei Frusenko, who has stated that um, Zenit are looking to win the Champions League. I, I, I mean, God, I don't know what time frame he's put on that, but I think it was seven years ago he said Russia would win the World Cup one day. He didn't put a time limit on that either, but this is, this is a man who's very ambitious and possibly very deluded. I don't know. But um, Toko, going to, your article was very interesting because you listed very specific pl- players and areas of the squad that you thought needed trimming and, and evaluating, basically. So just with the listeners, sort of maybe go through the positions, if you can, of w- what you think needs to be done. How much time do we have, Tom? I think this is uh, this, this could <laughs> take some time. <laughs> yeah, just, just pick, okay, do some key highlights then, if you like. <laughs> well, in, in short, I think this Sinner squad, it, it really needs a lot of work. Uh, there's, there's simply too many mediocre, mediocre players for example, if we start the goalkeeping position, they have just signed Andrew Lunia from uh, from Ufa this winter. He turned out to be a great prospect. But as his backups, they have both Ludigan and uh, and Kursikov, the the goalkeeper Kursikov, the uh, younger twi- younger of the brothers, and both of those could could leave the club. I expect uh, especially Ludigan to leave the club because he he will need some some uh, regular playing time to be relevant for the World Cup next year. Obviously, that should be his um, his great target. Then in defense. There are some decent players. For example, Smolnikov is an excellent, uh, a right, excellent right back. They have Sturkov and uh, Krishito, also great players, both of them. But they need new central defenders. Lombard has already left the club, and then they have Neto. I know you hate Neto, Thomas. I don't hate him. I, he, to be fair, Neto is actually. Oh, he's, oh, I do. I do. Neto, Luis Neto is a very nice chap. I just don't think he's a very good defender. <laughs> <laughs> then, then we have guys like Novoselsov. He, he played five games this season. That's completely That was insane, game. really. I, I couldn't yeah. understand that. Luchescu didn't like him at all. I thought he was a decent defender at Rostov, so maybe Mancini can get the, get something out of him. But And then Ivanovic, he, he, he wasn't very good in the spring, let's be honest. He's a big name, but he wasn't very good. So they definitely need new central defenders as well, because that, that has been one of the, 
one of the weak spots at, at center this season. They made so many unnecessary mistakes, gave away so many stupid goals, and and it, in my opinion, it was maybe not the primary reason. I think the primary reason was was the Luchesco, but it was the reason they finished third and not not second because it was just one point, and and you can definitely find that one point among the mistakes of the central defenders in midfield. We we talked a bit about it earlier. Danny has left the club, and midfield, in my opinion, is it's it's a madness when I look at the squad. There's so many me- mediocre players: uh, Hanani, Robert Mark, Arthur Yusupov, Mauricio, Ria Sanchev, um, Molo. It it's it's yeah, Molo, especially Molo. Uh, Andrew's Andrew's tip for signing of the winter, by the way. Just just putting that out there. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to buzz in at this point. I think Molo has been really, really harshly criticised because he's just not been played. He's not been treated right. Molo is one of the, the I, in my view, most electric game changers potentially in the Premier League. Now, I know he can drift. He can be wildly on and off. But when he's on, he is honestly one of the most devastating runners with the ball, which I think, ironically, is exactly what Zanita needed at times this season. I think Molo really, really needs to stay. I mean, I say it, there wasn't a big investment transfer fee in him, certainly. But um, so if he is shipped out again, it's not it's not a massive problem, you know, on the money side of things. But I just think they'll be missing a trick to to to, to get rid of Molo. Um, yeah. But anyway, sorry, carry on, guys. Yeah, no. To be fair, to be fair to you, Andrew, I would say that I would keep Molo ahead of Mac. But also, Toka, with the midfield, just before you carry on, it's also worth mentioning, you mentioned Danny being let go, of course, but they've signed Christian Naboa from uh, Rostov, of course. How much input Mancini had into that? I'm not quite sure. No, I don't, I don't think Mancini really knew about um, Naboa, but I think that's an important thing. You have a sports director. I, I, don't know, I, don't, I, I know you guys as Englishmen are used to having the manager, having all the, having all the power, but, but I like the concept of having a, a sports director who is allowed to to think a bit further ahead than the than the head coach who who has to go almost game to game, and and I think Nubo is is a good signing. I I'm a bit worried about the length of the contract. Three years is a lot for a thirty for a thirty two year old player, but but I think uh, Nubo is definitely a good signing. And then the the key part for for Mancini when as a new senior head coach, it it is really to to get spirit back into some of the profiles on the team. For example, Shata. We we have praised him so much on the podcast in the past, but he has been a, a shadow of himself this season. I think he he only played um, like twenty games in the league or something. Mo- mostly uh, started on the bench, but he's a, he's a great player, and he really needs to get him back into his top form because there's a lot of unused potential there. You can say the same about Alexander Kukurin. and I don't really know if I trust him anymore, and I, I'm not convinced Sinner should keep him. But but if if Mancini can actually animate Kokorin and and make him the player we all want him to be, then he he he, he suddenly have actually had some some good players and and he obviously has a, a very good Russian core on this team as well, which is uh, important with the limit. But I think the main problem is is the fact that they have too many mediocre foreigners as well. So they need to get rid of of guys like Robert Mark and sorry Andrew, but but Molo and and maybe Hanani and Mauricio as well. And and they need to bring in some foreigners who can actually change the games, like Sparta, where you have foreigners like Quinto Promes, Luis Luis Adriano, even even somebody like Fernando as well, Toker, who's so sort of key to their team. Fernando, definitely Fernando. I mean, players who are raising the level, and and that that what made, that made me happy because Fusenko, the new sports director, he recently said that unless the foreigner is better than the, than the Russians, they all already have, they shouldn't sign them. And I think that's a that's a very smart policy to have, at least. Maybe not for all for all signings because Russians, as we know, are obviously more expensive. But 
but in general, I think that's a that's a, a healthy and and smart policy, and 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 that seems to be the, a rule to live for because Naboa is obviously a great player, and he's the kind of player who can sort of elevate the level of the squad. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the foreigners coming in, it's quite funny. I read yesterday. Um, it, Mancini's obviously come in, and it only took a couple of days for Mario Balotelli to be linked to uh, to Zenit. So that that's one to, <laughs> that's one to keep an eye out. <laughs> um, oh, brilliant! I actually really hope that does come off. I know I don't expect it to realistically, but God, Thomas, could you imagine that Balotelli in Russia? He's just if there ever was an example of recipe for disaster, <laughs> that is it. Balotelli that's right out the Delia Smith cookbook, in it. <laughs> Oh dear me! No, I mean, I mean I, you know what, Thomas? I I agree with um, with basically everything that Toker says. Uh, I mean, apart from Molo, um, who doesn't agree with Molo. everything Toker says? I mean, I, I I'm, I'm disagreeing with him on Molo, though. Um, <laughs> that certainly um, certainly is one I'd keep. But no, but I mean, he makes he makes the he makes a good point. I don't. I mean, okay, we can't ignore that there is a foreigners ruling, whether we like it or not. It is there. Therefore, the foreigners in the squad have to be worth their place and there are too many and the ones that are there like Toke says are too well most of them are too mediocre they're just not raising the level of the squad so that's just a no-brainer but even forgetting the foreigners ruling just on a playing point of view the the players who are not pulling the weight they need to go they are taking up places on well they're taking up wages they're taking up places in the squad they're they're just dragging and I'd say dragging the mood what well, the mood they're dragging the momentum of the squad down um, I would personally keep Kokorin. I do think he has more value than a lot of people give him credit for. I actually don't think he's played too badly this season. His role has changed a lot, and he's become less of a goal scorer and more of a well, more of a worker. He's been more selfless than usual. Um, but you know, add to the fact, yes, he is Russian. I know he's highly paid, but he is certainly he has enough talent to be part of that forward line. Um, so there is, it's not, a, it's not a lost cause for Zenit, of course. I mean, for Christ's sake, they came, <clears throat> well, they came uh, close at one point to challenging for the challenging for the title. So, um, you know, players like Juba and Kukoin and Shatov, definitely, that's a very good point Toka makes. He he is a, an exceptionally talented player, and he needs to be coaxed. Um, the best needs to be coaxed out of him. But if they can, if that can be done, if Mancini can do that, he's got a core. Um, at the well, at the top end of the pitch, at least of good young, talented Russian players. Um, so you know, it, it, there, there's room to work with there. Um, I think, yes, I, I think there needs to be a good five, six, seven transfers out um, netto at the top of the list. I, I can never understand how he ever got paid to kick a football, yet alone for Zanid. But um, anyhow, um, if those, it's got to be brutal. He's going to have to be brutal, but Mancini is good at that. That is what he does. That is his character. So, um, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, will he be bold enough, and will he be backed to be bold enough? Those are the two questions that need to be answered for me. Yeah, I mean, I saw a comment on Twitter when Mancini was appointed. You talk about the brutal thing, and I, th- I can't remember the exact comment, but somebody said, oh, not sure about this appointment because um, Mancini's too volatile. I thought, well, that fits in perfectly, given the last two managers, given the arguing and everything that constantly goes on. <laughs> but, Andrew, I want to move to your sort of knowledge of English football here and you mentioned Mancini's good at that sort of brutal side of it does he have that ego if you like Zenit I mean I was going to mention this earlier Zenit are quite an egotistical club if you like who seem to think Mm. their stock is very high all the time even when it's not that great do you think he has that exact mindset 
to motivate players. He's very much arm around the shoulder. Sometimes we saw that with Balotelli, of course, but then he can be very harsh yeah. as well. That that seems the exact sort of treatment this squad needs. And Toka mentions some of these players need quite a bit of a lift at the moment. Well, I actually do. I do think he is the right sort of person for the job for those reasons you mentioned. I think there are some clubs around the world, not because they are at the top of their game and right at the very, very top at, on current form, but there are big clubs that regardless of how they're performing in the league over the last year, two, three years, there's there's something about the size of the club that you've got to have a bit of an ego to be able to take it on at all. I mean, I'm a Manchester United fan and I look at, since Sir Alex Ferguson left, um, left Old Trafford, David Moyes just couldn't cope with it. Even Louis van Gaal, with his, with his experience, he didn't get what was needed from the club. He was too negative. And Mancini won't settle for that. And I think that's a very important point. Um, the very important aspect of his character that will, I think, serve in, uh, stand him in good stead. Um, and you mentioned the ego. Well, I mean, I think ego is a very important part because it drives you to perform at the best of your ability. Roy Keane had the biggest ego of all, and, and it, he, it drove him to success. And I think with Mancini, I think uh, the fact that Fursenko has, uh, has come in and he's, okay, he is going comfortably over the top saying we're going to win the Champions League. I think that is a long, long way off. But the fact he's ambitious, the fact he's got financial backing, the fact he's drawn a top class manager or at least a very high profile manager to the club, it's, again, it's, it's not completely different to what we mentioned with Rubin. It's, I'm not saying Mancini is going to be a long-term himself uh, appointment, but the mood of the club, the effort to make the club bigger and better and fulfil the expectations of the fans and media alike. I think that's a positive step. And Mancini, I do believe, has the character to do that. There were plenty of spanners that could be thrown into the works, but on paper, I think it actually is a good appointment. I mean, Toka, we've mentioned it a couple of times with Rubin and now with Zenit here about this long-term thing. Like I said, Mancini is on a three-year contract, possible two-year extension as well. Um, I'm thinking... A couple of questions for you here, because I've, I've found a good comment at the end of your article from Ben, who says, um, Luchescu's comments on Zenit Dvar, i.e. not giving them first team chances, might we see Mancini do that this season? Or even in the longer term? Are we looking at... I know the youth development thing is a big argument that rolls on in Russian football. Or do you think that Mancini's focus will be so much on getting that title, saving his job, if you like, that he won't do it? And also, are we thinking... Like I said earlier, this is a bit of a possibly a stopgap for him, thinking, oh, I'll do this until a big club in Italy comes along, for example, or a Premier League team with bound to come in one day. That's a lot of questions, Thomas. Yeah. That's, uh, let's take it from, <laughs> <laughs> from the beginning. Uh, regarding, the, regarding the young players, I don't expect Mancini to come in and, and suddenly reintroduce five new young players and start to give them loads of playing time. I think the main problem is that that they don't really have any any really promising youngsters right now. I spoke with uh, a good friend of mine, a Senate fan, the other day, and and I actually asked him about this. If if there were any any good guy, any promising guys standing right on the on the on the last step before the before the first team, and and he said, man, he had hoped so much for, for example, guys like Shereev and Gasoline, all these players who who left the club this year or last year, um, and he said that that's he didn't really see anyone ready to take the step up and and make an impact in in the, this season or maybe the next season. I'm sure he'll probably play a few guys. We have the we have the foreigners limit, so he's bound to to introduce some players and and put them on the bench. 
but I don't expect him to to make any any major any major things regarding the youth players. Also, as you said, it, it's not his job. He's not hired to be uh, um, to youth be a youth coach. coach. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's he's hired to win trophies and and if, if the players are good enough, they're obviously they're old enough. But but I don't expect him to to suddenly get in all these new players and and be like a new. <laughs> any youth team because that's not his style that's not Senna's style either I mean Senna is a big team you don't just go into a big team and play just because you're young just because you're because you're Russian you have to be good enough and right now the, the youngsters really aren't good enough to play for Senna um, I think he intends to, to fulfill his three-year contract of course if Real Madrid comes knocking then I'm, sh- I'm sure both him and Senna will be tempted but I think just like with Villas Boas he'll, he'll fulfill his contract I, I don't think he'll stay for for three more years after that, but unless he, he is sacked, if, if the results are awful, I, I think he'll stick around for three years, and then hopefully for him, he can uh, he has rejuvenated his career, and he is back on the top, and then he can go find a bigger job. I mean, Toko, for once, I'm going to have to go against you, because Andrew, I'm thinking, if a Premier League team comes in that's struggling a bit next season, Mancini did really enjoy his time in England. He, he'd snap their hands off. I mean, the, the only problem with that would be that with the big contracts and the big wages, uh, an English club, for example, or any other club, for, for that matter, would have to pay a big fee to Zenit to sign him up. So he's a bit bit put off by that. But I'm thinking he's probably, I'm going to say about, give it a year or two. I don't think he'll fulfill the end. Would you go with that? I definitely think his head could be swayed by an offer of pretty much anywhere in the Premier League. I think you do make that point. But yeah, again, like you say, the obstacle to that is the the compensation that would have to be paid, which would be fairly sizable. I think I read that his salary Zanit, is going to be seven million euros a year, um, which is it was just quite some salary to to pay off for a year or two. Um, Almost think, as much as the stadium. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean anything that gets anywhere near that ballpark is pretty astronomical. So, no, I mean the the truth is though, I think. Unless things do go his way fairly quickly I, by the end of his season, I do think he will start looking. He's not a, not very few managers nowadays are though, are they? You know, are truly long-term type of managers. How many have stayed in a, a job for more than five years? I've not seen many even make five years. Um, certainly not the top level. So, um, yeah, it's it's a. I, I wouldn't say it's a gamble. I'd say it's a. You know, it's a it's a high percentage risk, shall we say? Uh, you know, it's it's not going to go quietly. It'll either go spectacularly, like I say, spectacularly well, or Mancini will you know cause trouble and will will leave, and there'll be a whole new upheaval of managers um, linked to the club. So yeah, I'd say Mancini, if he lasts three years, it must mean that Zanit will have won a title or at least have qualified for Champions League every time. If they don't even make Champions League. I'd say this season, if they don't make Champions League this season, I'd say he might might well go. Uh, because why else bring in a manager like that? The, the next step up, by definition, is Champions League. Um, but that's stating the obvious. You know, the business plan, as we mentioned before, business model of Zanit revolves around Champions League prize money um, for FFP reasons. So if he doesn't make Champions League, I think both he and the club will be looking at other options. I mean, just, just to round this off, Toka, the, the subject and the pod as a whole, what way do you see Zenit going with this Mancini thing? Um, just the same question as the Rubin thing, really. Do you see it going quite well, or are you the classic Russian football news pessimist? Right now, I have to be positive, and I and I think he'll end up winning, 
winning the a championship. Maybe not this season because as as we spoke just spoke about, they will have to to go through a lot of changes this summer. But but I think it'll be when we look back, it'll be largely successful and and he'll sit with a couple of titles and hopefully I I think winning the title with uh, Sinnott is it's almost given. It it's not enough. What he really needs to do is to make them make them successful in Europe and and. I can be a bit worried about that because I don't think he don't doesn't really have the the best track record in in, in European football. So yeah, but but I think largely he'll be successful. He'll win a couple of titles, and then the the decisive factor is whether or not he can make them achieve new reach new heights in in Europe. I mean, yeah, Andrew, same question to you, really. But first, I'm just going to touch on Toka's point about Europe there. Because I'm thinking their aim now is to make the knockout stage of the Champions League on a regular basis. And in terms of Europa League next season, if there's heavy investment in the squad this summer, they'll expect to go quite far, I would think. Well, the expectations certainly will be there, I agree. And yeah, Toka's actually right. I mean, Zenit is a, well, European-centred uh, club. That's where their ambitions lie. And But the problem with that is that they, they've got to actually get there and by there I mean Champions League of course they've got to actually get to Champions League first there's no point you know putting all these claims out of on knockout football without actually being in the, the, the top level so European uh, Europa League this season well we all said it last season and we weren't wrong to say it that Zanit really should have been one of the favourites for the Europa League um, title they just fell to that same old curse of that dreadful spring and um that's something Mancini's going to have to adapt to. That's not something he's had to deal with before the long winter break. And it's what's undone a lot of new managers in Russian football. Um, how does he keep the motivation, the mood of the players focused if and when they get to the knockout stages in late February? Um, I'd like to I'd like to imagine Zanit would be able to get out of the group stage again. Um, if they don't, it would be a well disaster, really. So if and when they get to that knockout stage, Mancini should be smart enough, and I think he is, um, to realise that that is where he's really got to make headway. Um, if he if he doesn't make, well, I mean, it's, there's two big things here: Champions League qualification and and the bare minimum knockout stages in Europa League. I'd say both are essential, really. Um, it'd be interesting to know what he's been told his priority is. Uh, whether they've said if you get Champions League football but don't win the Europa League, we'll be happy. Or whether they say we want you to win Europa League and qualify, I'd be interested to see what the um, I'm interested to know what the demands have been. But how, how do I see it going? Overall, I'd say an improvement on last season. Um, and I mean, in terms of the manager's appeal, that's not difficult. But even in terms of their progress um, in the league, I expect them to make Champions League this season. I think Siska. I I think they just uh, they've been punching slightly above their weight for over a year now, and I don't expect them to be as strong. Uh, um, I'm gambling that prediction on you know, good recruitment for Zanit, but I do think that will happen. So overall, I expect Zanit to make Champions League football, and I expect them to make about the quarterfinals of the Europa League, and it depends how Mancini has done up to that stage as to how far they'll be able to go. But overall, I think, I think it will be progress in every sense of the word for Zanit this season. Yeah, I mean, just for the the listeners, really, I've just sort of found this on the um, on the UEFA website. 
the I'm just looking now at the UEFA club rankings, which I'm sure doesn't really mean anything. But Zenit are in 19th, despite a bad couple of last seasons. The the highest ranked club in East. Uh, oh no, sorry, the second highest behind Shakhtar in Eastern Europe, but ahead of the likes likes of Tottenham, who of course came second last season in the Premier League and not so well in the Champions League, which of course makes an impact. But that sort of scale is what we're dealing with here with Zenit. But so we'll see how it goes. But I think, fellas, that's pretty much the end of the podcast. So, um, Andrew, th- thanks once again. Yeah, well, I mean, Thomas, I, I would like to make a couple of plugs briefly um, before we go. Um, one is that we're reviving the Russian Football News Instagram account. Um, we've got some original photos that uh, some of our writers have taken from grounds and of memorabilia. Um, so have a look at that. There'll be plenty of interesting pictures up there. And over the Confederations Cup, we'll have at least two or three of us will be around at the ground. So um, so follow us on uh, at Russ Football News on Instagram, uh, same as the Twitter handle. And uh, yeah, follow us for there. You get some interesting original pictures there. Um, and also, guys, don't forget, if you followed the Predictions League this season, we're doing a Confederations Cup Predictions League. Um, details of that will come out next week um, ahead of the first game on the 17th of June. So if you've played it before, you know how good it is. And if you haven't, then get involved. It's really a lot of fun. Uh, and that will be a preview to next season's Predictions League 2. So, yeah, lots of exciting stuff going on here. OK, perfect. And uh, Toka, just um, I've, s- I've noticed a couple of interesting pieces that have gone up on the website recently, particularly the one about the academies. Just a quick outline for the listeners that might want to check that out, because that's, t- that's a really interesting piece. Yeah, well, we have the um, Champions League finalist Juventus recently announced that they would open two new academies in Russia, one in Moscow and one in, uh, in St. Petersburg. Barcelona already have um, have an academy in Moscow, actually, and both clubs are often they arrange these football camps for for young children between five and thirteen, fourteen years old. Uh, in, Barcelona had one in Sochi, uh, Sochi in two thousand fifteen, which uh, Russian football news actually uh, attended. Our our very own Ilya uh, attended it and spoke with some of the parents down there. Spoke with some of the players. Spoke with the coaches and um, well, what what he found out was really that although it was it was really nice time the players loved it and the parents could see that the players loved it. it it was not as much about talent development it wasn't about these players becoming future russian internationals and we shouldn't expect these academies to make a russian Lionel messi it, it's more way of, for these clubs to make a lot of money because for example one week in such for for a kid was if i remember correctly around two thousand euros and we know and we know the the, the average monthly wage for russian is it's a lot less I than that. It's about, <laughs> it's, it's about 600 euros, if, if I remember correctly. So it's not really a, a commodity normal people can afford. It, it really is a luxury, luxury thing. And, of course, there are much cheaper options out there. But at, at the Barcelona camp, you get a Barcelona kit, and that's really what makes it, it special. So, yeah, it, it, it's really money machines for these, for these clubs. You can also, if you want to play at the Barcelona Academy, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I, I believe it was a couple of hundred euros a month, and then you get two weekly practices. So it's a lot of money for not very much football. Okay, perfect. So that piece on the website is called Foreign Academies in Russia, Talent Development or Money Machines. And that's by Toka and Ilya, as he mentions. Um, just a quick plug as well. We've got a, a podcast coming up next week, a Confederations Cup preview. We're going to have some outside experts coming in. We're going to preview Russia's group. So that's uh, New Zealand, Portugal, 
and uh, I've forgotten the word. Mexico. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So do keep an eye out for that. That should be coming next week sometimes. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I've really enjoyed doing it. I love these sort of episodes where we just have a couple of topics and go really in depth. So again, thanks, uh, Toka and Andrew, and we will see you on the next podcast. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч. Идет футбольный матч, летит над полем мяч.